0: Pray with me, Jesus, when we don't see it, when we don't feel it, when we aren't experiencing it, you're at work in us. There's not a bit of our life that you're not using to draw us back to yourself, to shape us into the image of Jesus, to glorify him in all that we have, the good, the bad. I thank you that this morning you want to show yourself to us. You've been showing yourself to us and you're showing yourself faithful. And I pray this morning, we would see more glimpses of you. In Jesus name we pray, amen. Have a seat. Thanks for being here today. Um, We've been walking through this series uh, and the desire of this, this fall is for us to see Jesus better. I think part of the issue that most of us struggle with is that we lose sight of who Jesus is and what He's done for us, what He's doing for us even right now. And I think our, our eyes get kind of taken away. Maybe, maybe the, the image of Jesus gets blurred and maybe even our life experiences, what we went through kind of give us a misshapen image or picture of Jesus. And so we talked a few weeks ago about the picture of Jesus uh, that we want to bring into focus is that Jesus is God, right? That Jesus is both uh, human, yes, he was born, we'll talk about that today, but before that, he is God. We see that pictured throughout scriptures, both Old Testament and New Testament, that Jesus is God in the beginning was the word and there was, the word was with God, right? That's what First John was telling us. Uh, that harkens back all the way to the very beginning story the, uh, of, of creation. And we see that Jesus is God. And it's important for us to see Jesus as God because he is, he is perfect. He is deity. He is one with God. He is both unique and separate, but yet one with God. And it's in that picture that we kind of step into today uh, with seeing Jesus as the son of God. If you're to read throughout the gospels, you're gonna see, uh, and again, that's where we're coming back to. We can see Jesus throughout all of scripture, uh, but we're looking at the, at, through the gospels to see Jesus and how, and how the authors of the gospels give different images and pictures of Jesus. And so Jesus as the son of God is, one of the, is the most common way in the gospels that Jesus is referred to. It's the image that all the gospel writers in different forms and ways point back to Jesus and his relationship to God that he is the son of God, right? So they're saying, hey, listen, he is both God, but yet he sees God, his, his relationship to God is as father and son. It's a parental relationship. And already that brings with it its own amount of baggage, right? If we start, begin to think about in our own head, father, son, mother, daughter, mother, you know all the different parental child relationships, the baggage that comes with that for us, right? Because I have great parents and I love them, but I have broken images of a father and mother through people who've imperfectly tried to love me. And this again, this is not a bash on dads or bash on moms day, because the same way my kids could say right now, two of them right there, they, they get a very imperfect view of their earthly father. Like I, I am not, uh, I'm not showing them perfectly the love of the father. And so as we look at that today, part of what's skewing our heart when we think of Jesus as the son of God is can we even see God as the father? And we're not gonna, uh, there's a whole lot we could go into our father images and we're not gonna be able to go into all that today. I want us to just focus on who is Jesus and how he's relating to the father. Because again, if we go back to that, if he is God, the next picture of him being the son of God helps us to understand how he relates back to God in that, in that beautiful picture of the Trinity. So this is, again, the most common way. It's, it's also, again, the way I think we, one of the relationships we're experiencing the most, right? Uh, Whether you realize it or not, uh, as an adult, you're still experiencing life uh, through the background of your mother and father. Um, Parents, if you are any parents out there, uh, you're parenting, even though you probably never want to do that, even if you're not a parent, you don't have to be a parent to this. You're looking like, I don't want to be like my mom and dad. I'm going to be different. And then how often have you said or done something very similar to the people you don't want to try to be like, right? Probably more often than we realize because it's, it's. It's how we were taught and what we have learned. And so as we think of this, we're thinking of uh, seeing Jesus and we're going to, primarily be in Mark chapter one. I'm gonna start there. Uh, I'm gonna give you some pictures of Jesus's uh, sonship. And then we're gonna go back to Mark one to kind of see this played out. Okay, so read in, if you're in Mark chapter one, uh, this starts very similarly to John chapter one, this prologue, kind of an introduction to the book, which is giving you, hey, this is what I'm all about. And as John wanted to show Jesus as, as God, as the connection to his unity with God. Here, Mark is saying, hey, I want you to make sure to see Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, who's the son of God. He starts off in verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And he goes on to give, this uh, prophecy from Isaiah as written in, the, uh, in Isaiah, the prophet, behold, I send a messenger before your face who will prepare the way the voice crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. And Mark is starting off his gospel, his prologue into this gospel saying, listen, I want to make sure you know the story of the son of God, Jesus Christ, the son of God. And so throughout the gospels, we see kind of four ways that Jesus shows his sonship. Okay, so uh, we're going to get back into the picture of this, what this looks like for us, but I want to give you four quick ways what that looks like. Um, the first one is covenant, covenant sonship. Um, it's the focus of the fact that Jesus lived his earthly life in a positive relation to God, relationship to God, as heavenly father. It's a covenant relationship. This covenant sonship, a promise back and forth. This comes from Deuteronomy 14:1. It says, um, you are the sons of the Lord, your God. And that in this respect, Jesus shares the sonship with the children of God to be his covenant people of God and gives this identity. Jesus's life exhibited a perfect relation to God, an example for humanity, and that he could both pray my father who are in heaven, right? And in 20, and Matthew 26, and then he could also teach men to pray our father. Think about that last spring, we were talking through the Lord's prayer. And that as we're saying our father, and he's teaching them to pray with his disciples. He didn't say teaching to pray, hey, your father, our father, Jesus is praying that prayer with us who are in heaven, asking that prayer. As covenant children, those born into the family, we share the same father with the Lord Jesus, which means he is our covenant brother for whoever uh, does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister, Matthew 12, 50 tells us. Further, Jesus taught covenant obedience by paying the temple tax in Matthew 17 to show that he and Peter as sons of God were free to serve their heavenly father in the expected manner. So they're they're still partnered into the covenant. Jesus's relationship to his heavenly father doesn't pull him away to the covenant promises that God had made to Israel. He is a son inside of that. Second, it's his, the nativity's sonship. This is kind of probably the most basic and simple of that. <laughs> the nativity of Jesus is traced to the direct spiritual paternity of God, right? What do we see there? That Jesus is the son of God because his incarnation and birth into the human race was a uh, conception of the Holy Spirit, right? Scripture tells us that, the Apostle Creed reminds us of that. In Matthew, Jesus' conception is of the Holy Spirit. He is to be named Jesus, meaning Yahweh is salvation because he will save the people from their sins. And Emmanuel, God with us, because he himself is the son of God in human flesh. So this picture of Jesus comes like he is not born of Joseph, right? This is Luke, Luke reminds us of this as well. Jesus' conception was by the Holy Spirit, the, most, the power of the most high. So Jesus is called the son of the most high and the son of God in, in Luke uh, one thirty-five. If the father of Jesus was a man named Joseph, he would be called Jesus, the son of Joseph. Luke's teaching clearly means that since the spirit of God was the father of Jesus, this son, uh, son of the Virgin Mary is properly called Jesus, the son of God. So even though that seems like, oh, of course, yeah. I don't know that we really fully live in that reality, right? So Jesus was born as the son of God, yet lived with an adopted father here on earth. Lived with a father, his and not his, right? And so I think it's a picture as we look at it that reminds that Jesus's humanity is even more real to us. He didn't have, I mean, that, that's not easy. If you've ever had an, an other father figure to walk through with that, Jesus experienced imperfect fatherly love at the same time as experiencing the perfect love of the father. So he can identify with us. He's walked in that with us. The third picture of sonship is messianic sonship. Jesus is the father's son and representative whose earthly mission is to establish the kingdom of God. At his baptism, we'll talk about that here in a second. He began his mission with the father's coronation, the father speaking over him. This is my beloved son with whom I am pleased. With a similar word from heaven at his transfiguration in Luke 9.35. Jesus went to the cross, his victory and his throne, all pictured in that, a messianic son. Jesus perfectly completed the redeeming word given to him to do by his father. Jesus was sent, right? We all know John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, right? Because of his love for the world. So the other messianic titles that you see, Jesus called the son of man, the son of David, focus the attention on the, the work he came to do as the Messiah. And so we, we see even in his sonship, his identity as a son, that he's a Messiah son, a son sent for us, for our behalf, that we might be reconciled to the father. I think it's interesting. We've been reading through the gospels as well. How often the demons, again, at, see Jesus as the Messiah. They see him as the son of God because what do they say? They look at him and they say, you are the son of God. Luke four forty one. the demonic guy looks at him and goes, hey, you are the son of God. They're recognizing what no one else is seeing clearly, even though Jesus is saying it over and over and over again. He keeps talking about God, his father, connecting him back there. And then lastly, uh, it, he is his personal sonship. Jesus' personal sonship is revealed in Peter's confession. You are the, are the Christ, the son of the living God in Matthew 6, 6, 16, 16. And Jesus' identification of himself at trial. When they ask him, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus' response is, I am. Often you don't get many clear answers from Jesus on who he was and what he was about, right? He makes it pretty unclear. Here he is very clear when they ask him that, that's the one identity he is not, he is not ashamed to put out. Not that he's ashamed of the other ones, but he's, he is not hiding his sonship because the beginning and the end of that is, is all, all pointing back to his heavenly father. Matthew attributes the Trinitarian baptism uh, uh, formula like in saying it this way, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit uh, to Jesus himself in Matthew 28. So Jesus is calling us out, right, to say we baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a personal relationship in that aspect. In John's gospel, Jesus claimed the oneness of personal uh, and the personal presence of, of God the Father. He said, I and the Father are one. He says it throughout John's gospel. So they are one, again, just as a child would look to a parent and see themselves as attached to them, as wanting to be like them, right? It's that same oneness. John further teaches, as we've talked about already, uh, that the, Jesus as the word, the logos, the image, was already with God in the beginning. So before creation of the world, he himself was the creator. And he is God, the only son who is at the father's side, and this is his only begottenness doctrine. This begottenness doctrine means that Jesus is from all eternity, the son of God. He is preexistent and he is still the son of uh, his heavenly father. They share the same name uh, in John 17, 17, He says, your name, uh, the name you gave me, Jesus talking back to this, is the son of God. For God had given him his own name, Yahweh, to his son. So we see these four pictures of the sonship, covenant sonship, the nativity of his sonship, the messianic picture of his sonship and the personal sonship of him. We're seeing that his son, this is a huge part of who Jesus is. So if we miss out on that, seeing Jesus as a son means that he is both yet God, but yet underneath, like connected to a father. When you think of pictures of a father and son, what might come to your mind? Any imagery that comes to mind in that. If I were to start whistling this and, 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 and is imagining black and white. I was say Andy Griffith. What like Andy Griffith? It's it's Andy and Opie walking down the street with their cane poles ready to go fishing, right? Right? It's this picture of, you know, and the phrases like "father," "like son," wanting to be like the one that came before him, wanting to, to imitate and imagine that picture. And so Jesus, uh, through the Gospel of Mark, I think is going to show us a picture of where where this looks like to actually follow into his sonship, that we get to join into Jesus' sonship as sons and daughters of the Most High God, to join in with him. And so. Let's get, go back to Mark chapter one and we'll close out our time together looking at this uh, and talking about what the importance of these scriptures in relation to Jesus's identity of the son. I read one through three. We're gonna jump down to uh, verse nine, the baptism of Jesus. This says, in those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw this, the heavens being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you, I am well pleased. The spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. And he was with wild animals and angels were ministering to him. Now after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In verse 16, passing along the side of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going out a little further, he saw James, uh, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat uh, with the hired servants and followed him. The, the importance this morning for us of seeing Jesus as the son of God and how that relates to us relating both to Jesus and to God. When we think of Jesus as the son of God, the first picture of that to me is in the baptism. I think one of the most rich things that's happened to my life in probably the last 10 years was recognizing this beautiful picture of Jesus in his relationship with his father. As we mentioned before, God speaking. God speaks out loud in the New Testament, three times, in the gospels, three times. Twice he's saying, this is my son. That's the two, the two times he's speaking in the, in, the gospel, in the gospel accounts. He's saying, Jesus is my son, the connection to that. And what's beautiful about this is that before Jesus has ever done anything significant, there's no, there's no story before this of anything of account of Jesus's work in his life is that Jesus is being baptized as a picture of obedience. He's following through. You see in the other gospel accounts, Jesus is going to be baptized by John the, Bapti- by the, John the Baptist. And he's going, no, 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 don't baptize me. I, I should be, I should, I'm not baptizing you, you should baptize me. And he goes, no, I, I must do my father's will. I must obey the father. This is what is necessary. Did Jesus need to be baptized to, to make himself holy or to show that he's following Jesus? No, he's doing that as a picture for us of what it's like to be obedient to the Father. The Father has sent me down to show you what it's looked like. To, so obedience is a huge part of Jesus's life. He's there being baptized that day uh, to, be, to show us the picture and importance of obedience. And before he's done a thing, before he started his ministry the father looks down on him and says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. He's happy with him, not because of something he's done or what he even will do. He's happy with him because he is his son. Because the love the father has for the son. What would it be like to start your day? Like not even your ministry, not the whole, not the, just each morning knowing that you walk into the day that you are loved and there's nothing you need to do today to earn the love of the Father. That's huge. How often do we wake up already feeling like I need to do something today to make it worth it? to show that I can do it, to show that, I, you know, that I'm already working with, but I've got things to do today. And to-do lists, we all have to-do lists. We all have things we have to do, things we need to get done in a day. But how often is what we're trying to do to prove and show that I'm, I'm valuable, that I should be used? Most of my early ministry, certainly that first 10 or so years of ministry was spent trying to prove to God that he did the right thing by choosing me. So every day it felt like I got to keep working because if I don't, he won't know that he did the right thing. That if I didn't follow him, like I've just got to earn it and earn it and earn it. And it's just a weight and a burden that sucks all the joy in life out of being able to, I get to be with my father today and he loves me. I have nothing to prove to my father today. I get to just be with him today. What a beautiful picture, the starting of Jesus' ministry to go before he's taken a step out. You are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. That's the same picture for us when we are in Jesus. You are loved and in you I am well pleased. I don't know, I still can't say if God loves you guys, He's, he's happy with you. Again, this picture of father right here, uh, this is the reality. So often we hear our father's voice when we, when we're hearing from God, right? We all, we've all text messaged and, and you don't, you can't tell somebody's con, yeah, you don't tell what they're saying. Like, right. I, I don't know. Is it, are they mad? I don't understand. Were they mad? Are they upset? Are they happy? That's never happened to anybody else out there. Okay. Just me. All right, good. Uh, but when I'm reading a text from somebody, whatever my feeling is with them at that moment is likely, it's, it's how I'm reading that text. If I feel like they're frustrated or disappointed with me or that they're always thinking I'm not doing enough, then I'm looking at the text going, oh, see, look there, mad again, didn't do it. Didn't do it, I'm not living up. And that might or might not be the case, but that's always the way I read it. That's the, unless I do something different to my heart, the way I read that is by the interaction I have with the other person. There, there's people in my life that, um, I, I'll, one, one specifically Rich, my friend Rich, I, I, I don't have, I, there's never a time I can read any of his texts that I just don't know that he's not gushing with love for me. And that's a huge blessing. Has Rich hurt me? Yeah. Has Rich done things that have like, I just don't understand? Yeah. But the overarching theme for that is that he loves me. I know that. And see, the, part of the thing that makes that easier right now, Rich lives in Florida. So there's not a lot of daily interaction where he's hurting me, right? And so what we're passing forth right now are a bunch of great memories, right? The pictures of, of years past, of things we've done together. You know what's really hard though? is sometimes getting a text from Jill that's just like, go get something from the store. Okay, I mean, it's like, in my heart, that's what starts coming out. Is Jill yelling at me? No, but it's because we have everyday life. I walked out of the house already, right? There's something else going on. I have other things that are happening. They're happening to me. And so I hear from Jill's text what I'm feeling inside. So for some of us right now, maybe the thing to recognize when you're reading these words and you're like, I don't even believe that God's saying that about me right now but he's looking down on you and says, this is my child who I am well pleased with. That's, a, that's a, an opportunity to see, God, I need you to reshape my picture of you because I have a misshapen image of you right now. I think you're, you're pointing your finger at me and you really don't love me. And what you're saying is you're not good enough. Jesus started off as obedient and with a full picture of knowing the love of the Father. Which makes this next section of verses like even harder for me to kind of grasp and understand when it says the spirit, the spirit after immediately drove him into the wilderness. (laughs) I'm like, wait, so you get this like great moment and it's like, boom, here we go. We're off to the wilderness. And what I say for all of us, this ought to be an encouragement. Because what Jesus, what happened here, he had this great moment with his father saying, this is my son who I am well pleased. And he goes out into the wilderness, which is what we are all living in. Like this is not the kingdom. This is not our home, right? We're reminded over and over and over again. Does it make it horrible and miserable? Sometimes. But Jesus went out into the wilderness, led there by the spirit. led there by the spirit. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. Here's the other beautiful picture. He is with the wild animals. Not sure what, the, I'm, I'm still trying to look for some great meaning behind that. Other than that, it's just awesome that he was out there. But amongst all the wildness, the angels were ministering to him, were attending to him. And I think the reminder for us is the exact same thing. We have been, we are in the wilderness. We're praying for God's kingdom to come to Austin, to Cedar Park and Leander because this isn't God's kingdom yet. This isn't fully the picture of his kingdom. We're hoping and wanting for that. And the spirit has, has sent us out in the wilderness. We're there, we're born into this. But yet with us, the angels are ministering to us. And this is the beautiful picture Jesus told us. The Holy Spirit is in with us. We're not alone in the wilderness. What happens to Israel, God's children, right? We see that God's chosen God's chosen child, this nation, when they're in the wilderness. Over and over and over again, it is hard, but yet they hear from their father. That's where most often you're seeing God's people hear from the father. So though it is difficult, it is also the place he has brought us to be with him, to experience the love of the father. It's not experiencing the love of the father when only things are good. It's experiencing the love of the Father in the midst of the hard difficulties of life. Mark moves on uh, in verse 14. It says, now John, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And this is the call for us as we go out as sons and daughters. Just as Jesus went out from this time, emboldened by, by the the identity given to him as the, from the Father to go out now and proclaim the message that's been given to him. There's the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And I love, I love the use of the word repent here. I hate what we, how we hear repent, <laughs> right? I don't know about you, but repent is like the street preacher on the corner yelling, pointing his finger, and, and it, is, it is all of that and not that at the same time. It is like, hey, you've got to turn around. This isn't the way. When I think of it more often, it would be as if we were going down a dead-end road that was, you know, we we're going out the close yesterday, we we're driving back in, in Lexington, they're having road construction and the way they did it was like some kind of automated stoplights. Somebody else on the other side decided they did not want to follow that. They were heading straight at us right? As so I'm literally in the car, like, <laughs> doing a good in our car window, We're like, wait, minute, please stop, don't run into us. That's what repenting looks like for us, is that we would be out, that we would be calling people, hey, hey, there's another way, the road you're on, it's, it's leading to destruction. It's not what you're wanting. It's a life apart from God the Father. What you need, what you want is to be in the father's love. You need, we want to be in the kingdom. And so it is a turning away from your own way. It is all of that, right? But it is done because we love. It's not repent because you're evil. It's repent because, hey, I needed to turn from my sin. I needed to turn from my selfish way from my rebellion in God and follow after him. That's what it means to be a child of God. I love the picture following after this is Jesus now calling those disciples to come along him. Now let me make you fishers of men. When, the, when Mark's, Mark's understanding of the gospel as he's leading us into this is that it's more than a set of truths or even a set of beliefs. It is a person. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. The son of God. So I wanna close our time of teaching looking back at the verses that Allison read earlier. I just want you to hear this again because I think it's a great picture for us as we transition and reflect on what God has to say to us this morning. And at that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven. Again, listen how he's praying. To his Father in heaven. Father, Lord of heaven and on earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. That's us. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. And no one knows the, fa- the Son except the Father. And no one knows the Father except through the Son. And anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take up my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your soul for my yoke is easy and my burden is life is light. Jesus is calling us today to join in that son identity, that son and daughter of the most high God to say listen the only way to experience the Father's love is through the Son, first and foremost. So that's why we're calling people out there, hey, repent. The only way to find fullness of life is from Jesus. You're not gonna find it anywhere else. Nothing else will satisfy you like him. And then Jesus is saying to us, come to me, all you who are striving, who are working, who are trying to prove themselves. And I want to give you rest. I want to free you from this need to prove yourself, from this need to earn. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. What do we learn from Jesus? He is content in his identity as a son of God. And he knows that his father in heaven loves him What does that lead them to? Pridefulness, no. He leads them to a lowly heart where we will find rest for our souls. Maybe what we're actually calling people to repent of is the gospel of of working their way of being good enough to get into heaven. Being good enough, you know, just tipping the scale. So I'm I'm 51% good, I'm, I'm, I'm more good than I am bad, then I'm all right, right? That's all I need to be. But the reality is I can be 100% good with God through Jesus. And I can find rest from my, from my weariness and anxiety and hurt and, and worry about, can I please God? Will he be happy with me? He already is in Jesus. So this morning, I just want you to reflect on the opportunity it means. One, have you put your faith in Jesus? Have you come to him and said, it's yours. I'm no longer gonna labor and work to earn my way, but I'm trusting you, Jesus, as the son, to be co-heirs with you, to be brothers with you. Because we cannot fully experience the love of the father apart from being his children. And the only way to the father is through the son. It's a new birth, a spiritual birth. So just like Jesus was born of the spirit, we must be born again of the spirit. A new life, a new creation. And my challenge for us this week as we take this out there is, who has God called you to share and show the good news of Jesus with? See, this good news of Jesus, the son, as we talk about it, you don't have to earn it. I I think again, everybody's thinking, I've got to go. I've got this God." They've got the same image of God that they're trying to like deal with in their head. And what our call to do, 2 Corinthians 5 reminds us is that God God loves them. He wants them to repent. He wants them to change from their their ways that are rebellious against him, but yet he loves them (laughs) over and over again. We can't say it enough. Who is it that God, who has God put in your sphere right now? What coworker, what neighbor, what family member needs to know the richness of the gospel of the son of God, Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment and ask God right now, is there anyone you would put in my heart? And this doesn't mean you're walking out of here now or you need to have to text them. It just means God, you know what's at, who's at, who you're at work in. Help me to be a faithful, obedient son and daughter And just share the good news that I already believe, that I already know. Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you that this morning uh, we get to experience your love in its fullness because of Jesus, your son, our brother. Would we be reminded of the love you have for us through the son? that we would hear, this is my son, this is my daughter in whom I'm well pleased. Not because of the striving and work that we've done, but because of who we are trusting, this good news of Jesus. I pray that we would be quick to show that love that we have experienced that we would be quick to share with our words how you have been at work in us and are changing us and are shaping us into the image of our Savior. Thank you for this morning, the opportunity to gather outside, and I pray that as we leave out of here, you would give us opportunities to live out of our identity as your sons and daughters, through our Savior, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray, amen.